everybody, Fletch from All Things Overlanding here on today's episode of the vlog slash podcast, which is the final one for 2019 and the final one for season one. I'm going to be talking about overlanding and your job choice, right? So what I mean by that is, you know, most of us, myself particularly included, um, have to have a full-time job. And overlanding is more of a hobby than some sort of a career or, you know, we're not all, you know, Peach State Overland or Overland Bound or, you know, anybody like that that can just like, that's their job and we get sponsorship and we get paid and we get the money from overlanding in order to support our overlanding slash camping needs, right? So on today's episode, I wanted to talk about as a sort of a last hurrah for season one and a final episode for... 2019, talk about what sort of, I guess, statistics or specifications you should look for in a job. And I don't think this just applies to people looking to do overlanding. I've, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older now. I'm not a young pup anymore. I'm about 39. In about eight months, I'm going to be 40. And so I just kind of wanted to talk through my history from a job standpoint. And I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about what I've learned over those years and and kind of where I've come to in my life where I've I've kind of found a balance, right, of what makes me happy and what makes me money. So if you want to learn more about that, if you want to hear more about that, stay tuned. guys so as i mentioned on today's episode of the podcast slash vlog i'm going to be talking about job selection and kind of what to look for in your job that will allow you to do more of the things you love to do and and that could be overlanding and for me it is and for a lot of you it probably is because that's why you're listening but it could be things like spending time with your kids right it could be things like working on cars it could be things like playing video games or watching movies or any of these things right like and and a million others So what I kind of wanted to start with was I wanted to give you guys a little brief background into my history to kind of give you, you know, kind of where I started when I graduated from high school, where I graduated from college, and then where I went from there, and kind of the progression of my career, if you will, until where I am today. I don't think I've really talked about this with a lot of you guys, Um, but it's a very disparate and uh, variety-filled background. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about that. And then after that, I want to kind of get into sort of, you know, the, the job selection portion of this, right? Where you can kind of think about things that are important to you in a job. Okay. So there are a lot of us that, and myself included, that have always just been told, get out, find a company, work for that company, work your butt off. And if you do that, you'll be there forever and they'll take care of you and they'll give you raises and all that stuff. I mean, let's be honest, that's 99% of the time that's not true, especially nowadays. I mean, I'm not a boomer, right? I'm not quite a millennial. I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, I was born in 80. But, you know, there there are a, a number of things that I was told when I was a kid that turned out not to be true. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that in looking at job selection. And then finally, I wanted to talk about specifically overlanding. But again, this could apply to anything that your heart desires, right? Like anything that you want to do if you... Pick a, a job that has the flexibility that you need, that pays what you need, um, 
then you can do whatever you want, right? It, it doesn't necessarily have to be overlanding. Now, obviously, it's going to be related to overlanding. That's what I like. That's why you guys are here. But just keep that in mind. If, if your dream is really, if you like overlanding, but you love working on cars, or if you like overlanding, but you love spending time with your kids, right? All of this will apply. So this will apply to everybody. So let's get going on the first thing. So kind of my background, right? So my name's Fletch, right? I, I grew up in Southern Indiana, um, went to a high school called Edgewood High School, uh, about 800, 850 students. When I graduated, there were about 135 in my class. Um, not to toot my own horn, but I was National Honor Society. I did get in trouble a few times, so I'm, I'm not perfect by any means. But um, from there, I went to Purdue with plans to be a veterinarian, only, literally only because I liked animals and I thought they got paid a lot, right? Like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Veterinarians get paid well. And they get to hang out with, like, cute puppies and cats all day, right? That sounds awesome. Um, and then when I got to Purdue and I started to take the classes required for veterinarian uh, jobs, like chemistry and biology and things like that, I realized very quickly that they were hard. And I was not that smart. So um, from there, I, I switched my majors. I had actually taken an anthropology class or two. And I said, you know what? This is enjoyable. I'm not going to even think about the job because I don't even know what I want to do when I get out of college. I'm literally just going to try my best to get a bachelor's degree in something and get the heck out of here and get moving. I'll, I'll figure it out after I'm out. So I switched my degree to anthropology. From there, um, I switched. I, they actually started, Purdue started to offer a degree in forensic anthropology, which is what I actually graduated with. Um, it doesn't mean a whole lot, and I my first interview out of college was with the uh, Indiana Sheriff's Department, and I did pretty well. I think it went well. Um, the, I asked them what the job looked like and what the career path looked like, and they said, "Well, you know, we'll pay you twenty five grand a year, and uh, you'll work nights, and you'll catalog evidence, and then you know, three to five years from now, you could maybe apply for other jobs and say, hey, here's what I've learned, and hopefully you get something.'" And so once I heard that, I said, you know what? Forensic anthropology is not where I need to be because I like cars and I like video games and I like expensive things. So making 25K a year and working nights and never seeing humans is, is just not really what I want. Um, so from there, I kind of, I had a girlfriend at the time who is now my wife. And uh, she said, you know what? My dad is a very successful guy and he works at a law firm. And those folks there... A lot of them, per his instruction, had gone and worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, right? Which is, sounds funny, but they have a, a fantastic management program. They teach you a lot about customer service. They teach you a lot about under-promising and over-delivering. Um, and it, you learn a lot just about how to run a business, how to you know manage a profit and loss statement, all these things. Um, so I was there for about three and a half years. I got promoted about seven times in those three and a half years, and I ended up you know, going from renting cars up to managing a team of about 10 or 12 sales guys in their car sales division, where they actually sold. So Enterprise is privately held. It's kind of interesting. They're privately held. It's one family that still owns it from the beginning. That family still owns it now. Um, they're big enough that they pay cash for all the cars that they buy. And so then they rent them out, they make their money back, and then they can sell them at a great deal, much cheaper than other dealerships sell the same cars or similar cars. Um, and we still make money on them on the back end when we sell them. 
So it was a great job. I loved it. I worked there for quite a while. I quickly realized, though, that it was a pyramid scheme, right? Like, it, that's just how enterprise works. There's, you know, you're a branch manager, you get paid off your branch and the success of your branch. If you're an area manager, you get paid off all the branches in your area. If you're a district manager, you get paid off all the different, you know, sets of branches in your area. And that's how it works. Um, and it's not necessarily about hard work, right? It's about who you know and how long you've been there and what you're willing to do and that sort of thing. So again, not to say anything disparaging against enterprise because it's probably the backbone of my success that I've had in my life. Um, it just wasn't my gig, right? Like I didn't want to sit there and, and talk to angry people all day. I didn't want to have to do the bureaucratic kind of, you know, back and forth dances and stuff like that to make people happy. So from there... Because I had ended as a finance and insurance manager, an F&I manager, if you will, if you've ever bought a car before at a dealership, it's that guy that you deal with at the end after you've dealt with the salesperson who's kind of the manager that, you know, brings out the paperwork and walks through all of your options for warranties and insurance and gap and all that sort of stuff. That's what I was doing. Um, because of that title, though, I actually moved into banking. I did banking for about four years. It was awful. Like people get really mad when you're dealing with their money and I don't blame them. Um, and it's retail, right? So you're there from, you know, eight o'clock to five o'clock or whatever, whatever your shift is. And so my wife and I at that time were, you know, thinking about having children. And I was like, you know what? I cannot work a retail job where I have to be there every single day. Like I have no flexibility. I, I have maybe a couple weeks of sick time slash vacation time that I can use a year total. And we're about to have a kid. Like it's not fair to my wife. She worked from home at the time. So, it, you know, she had some flexibility, but it, it just wasn't fair for me to be doing that. So from there, I finally, I took kind of that automotive experience and I transitioned it into marketing. I actually started to work for a company that did automotive marketing for dealerships using a CRM, um, like a, a Salesforce, or if you're not familiar with CRMs, it's basically like a system where you put all your clients into. So for dealerships specifically, when you go into a dealership, they take down your name, your phone number, your email, that goes into a CRM. And then from there, we would use that data and we would market to those people to say, hey, we're having a special this week, we're having a whatever it is, right? I would, I would help manage their marketing through our CRM. And I did that for a couple of years and it was interesting and I actually really enjoyed it. And I started to finally, you know, five, six, seven years out of college, figure out I enjoy working with people. I enjoy building relationships. I enjoy showing success based on, you know, metrics to prove to them that I'm doing a good job. And I like marketing stuff. I like anything related to helping a brand tell their story. Um, so I was there for about two and a half years. After that, shortening it briefly or greatly for you guys. I jumped around from marketing company to marketing company. I, I did some SaaS stuff, so like software as a service stuff. And where I ended up was I actually uh, ended up working for a small marketing firm here in town um, where I started as a resource manager. There were about nine people in the company at the time. It was a great experience. Um, but I quickly realized and was talking to the CEO and saying, look, you're the boss and then everybody else is equal. There's no hierarchy, which I'd seen everywhere else I'd ever worked. And all these, you know, I worked for Chase Bank. I worked for a credit union locally. I worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, which is a huge company. And I said, you know, everywhere I've been, there's been, you know, multiple levels of folks that manage each other. And that's what helps us all hold each other accountable. That's what gives us, you know, clarity on expectations. And so I brought that up to him. 
And, um, you know, basically what happened from there was he said, you know what, you're right. We need some hierarchy created. And so I became the COO of this small marketing firm. And within the next two, two and a half years, we grew to about 20 to 22 employees. We grew and, and it was a great thing. Um, there were some shady things that went down at the end, which is kind of the risk of working for a smaller company like that. Um, but so as a result, I ended up having to go out of that company and look for a couple of jobs. And I had, you know, multiple jobs kind of as let's call them like director of client success or director of marketing type jobs for the next couple of years, client success type jobs, um, where basically my responsibility was to help build processes, build repeatability, um, build reporting, make sure that customers were happy and that marketing was working for the company that I worked for. And it was great. Everything was great. Fast forward to about two months ago. About two months ago, I actually was working for a company where a couple of my previous employees uh, had were working. And that's kind of how I got on there was they said, hey, this place is great. You need to come here. I interviewed. It went well. I ended up getting a job. I was there for about a year. And guess what? Again, when you're working for someone else, all of a sudden, randomly, they decided, you know what? We don't want we don't want this to we don't want to have you here anymore. We want to go a different direction. We don't want account management. We want more project management based stuff. We want to pay people less money. Whatever it is, whatever the reason is, right? No warning, no write ups, no anything like that, right? And all of a sudden, I'm without a job. So I I since then, in the last couple of months, I've actually had it's actually been great. <laughs> like honestly, it kind of gave me a taste of what does it look like to have that flexibility, right? To be able to create this content that I want to create for all things overlanding, to be able to truly look for a job without the stress and pressure of like, oh my gosh, I need money right this second. I've been, you know, the wife and I have been pretty smart and we've saved up money. So it's not like we're in trouble or anything like that. I mean, you know, anytime you're not making money, it's not great. Um, But so from that, I was able to actually sort of talk to a number of people that I've met and people that have been, you know, super important in my life to help me learn from these, you know, previous jobs. And in talking to those people, what I've realized is, you know, one thing that one of my friends said that was really, really interesting was he said, you know, everybody says that you're more stable when you work for a big company because you have stability, you have a guarantee of a job, right? But what he said was the way he looks at it is the opposite, right? Because you either have, with a big company that you work for, you either have 100% of your salary or 0%. It's a 50-50 game, right? So you either have a job or you don't. And what he said was if he runs his own thing, which is kind of what he's doing now, if he runs his own company and say he has five five customers and they all pay him the same amount of money, if he loses one of those, he still gets 80% of his pay. If he loses two, he still gets 60% of his pay. If he adds one to it, he gets 120% of his current pay. If he adds five to it, he gets 200%. He gets double what he's getting, right? So when you own your own company or when you work for a smaller company where you have a bigger stake in the company, it seems riskier, right? Like that's what we've been told our whole lives is if you work for a company and you're loyal and you work hard, they'll take care of you and you'll retire from there. And that may have been true, like, okay, boomer, right? Like back in the day, that may have been true, but not anymore. I So I have been out of college for about 17 years now, and I've probably had 11 or 12 jobs. And you guys, I know listening on the podcast, and you guys watching me on YouTube may not know me personally, but I can tell you, and if you talk to anybody that I know, I'm a really hard worker. Like my dad was a Bobby Knight type guy. 
where like if I even tried to give up on something, I'd get my ass beat, right? Like that's just how it is. So there is no quitting. So everything I've ever done, I've put 110% into and I've busted my ass. And I've still seen multiple times where regardless of that, no warning, no write-ups, no coaching, no nothing, you can just be let go. And so again, I'm not trying to be disparaging about these companies. What I'm trying to say is that's the way it is. So maybe 40, 50 years ago, you could go to a company and you could say, look, I'm going to set down my roots and I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to repeat tedious action A and B and C, and then I'm going to get paid and I'm going to retire 15 years from now, 20 years, 40 years, whatever from now from this company. And they're going to treat me right and every year they're going to give me a 10% raise, 5% raise, whatever it is. Nowadays, that's not really the case. And I actually really like that. I think that's a great opportunity for folks like you, folks like me, where if you put your mind to it, things like this, right? Like I'm just shooting this podcast and vlog and YouTube videos for fun, but I enjoy it and it's starting to pay dividends. And so what I'm, where I'm going with this is job selection is important. And what I mean by job selection is important is you can't just think about financial. Like we could all go and work 60 hours a week and make 80, 90, 100 K a year. We could. Like, okay, maybe we all can't, right? I, I don't make that kind of money. But you could do something like that. And you could sell your soul and you can never have any time off and you can never see your kids or your wife or your husband or whatever. Um, you could never go camping. You could never go overlanding. You could just work until you die. And then you could be like, hey, I was successful and I made money. Where I'm going with this, though, is I finally, at this stage of my life, I finally realized, like, one, Working for big companies, in my opinion, is not that great, right? Like it, it, every single time it benefits the company. That's the way that it's set up. It's a rigged game. Um, and, uh, and two, number two, time spent on the business is not necessarily equal to pay, right? So let's say, let's just pick a random number out of our heads. Let's say 60 grand is what I get paid a year, right? And if I work... 60 hours a week, every single week, and I never see my family, and I never see my kids, and I never get to spend time with my friends, and I never get to go camping or overlanding, is that worth it? Especially when they can randomly and arbitrarily just let you go. Um, so getting away from the bitching and complaining, right, about what other companies can do or have done, um, where I'm going with this is, what I look for in a company, what I have finally learned in my life is, yes, money is important. It's not everything, but it is important. We can't do what we do without any money. You have to pay for gas. You have to pay your insurance. You have to pay for a home. You have to pay for your car. You have to pay for your camping gear. You have to pay for food to take on that overlanding trip, right? You have to pay for toys for your kids. You have to pay for gifts for your wife um, or husband or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so... What I have finally found is there is kind of a, a perfect job, in my opinion, for me, based on my experience, which I've told you, um, I need flexibility in my job. And by flexibility, I mean a company that trusts me enough to say, as long as you're getting your stuff done, we trust you and we respect the quality of the work that you're doing. So if you're in the woods and you have a conference call from Hoosier National Forest, as long as you don't drop the call and you it's successful and you have all of your work done, we don't care. Um, so flexibility is important. Also, as I mentioned, pay. Pay is important, right? So 
again, I'm not saying, you know, if, if I'm looking at two jobs and one pays me $90,000 a year, but I have to work 60 hours and I have to be in the office from 8 o'clock until 6 o'clock every single day. Um, that job versus a 70K job that gives me flexibility and we don't have an office and we work remotely and it gives me the flexibility to be able to say, hey, you know what? I know we have a conference call with this client tomorrow, so I'm going to be in my home and I'm going to do this remotely and we're going to do it through a Zoom conference call. But the day after that, I don't have any client calls, but I have some internal calls. I'm going to go overlanding. I'm going to go take a two-day trip to Hoosier National Forest and I'm going to, I'm going to make sure all my work is done, but I'm, going to be, I'm not going to be in my house. And for to have a boss or someone like that or a company that says, that's cool. We want you to be happy. We respect you. We know that you do great work. We know that you have this experience and that's why we hired you. We trust you to do a good job. That to me is more important than that extra 10 grand a year. So again, these are all my opinions, right? Take it with a grain of salt. But I do feel like job is important for overlanding. Right. I I have a ton of friends every weekend where I'm like, hey, I'm going to leave Friday morning and I'm going to leave and I'm going to go all weekend. And they're like, well, I can't get Friday off. Like my boss is a jerk and he just won't let me leave because everybody has to be in the office all day, every day. And again, when I was younger, never would have questioned that. That was how my parents raised me. That's what you did. That's how work worked. What I'm saying is nowadays that doesn't seem to be the case. And again, it depends on what you do. If you're, you know, a mechanic, obviously you have to be there to work on the vehicles, right? If you are uh, a retail person, retail is tough. You have to be there from X time to Y time, right? That's how it works. Um, so if those are your jobs, please don't don't take this as any sort of insult or anything like that. If you have a retail job, then you just have to work around it, right? Um, but if you have the ability, if you have a skill or, you know, and I will be the first to say that I am, I've kind of grown into some skills at this point. I've grown into some relationships. I've grown into some, you know, ability to have that flexibility after years. So if you're 22, it, you may not have that yet. You may have to work for companies that are going to mistreat you and you have to learn from those experiences. But think about those things. Look at them. Like it took me almost 20 years to get to the point where I finally said, you know what? I don't need to make a hundred K, but be miserable all the time. I can make 65 or 70 K and be perfectly fine with that. If I had the flexibility to leave and go camping whenever I wanted to, if I have the ability to say, Hey, I'm going to take a two hour break really quick and I'm going to edit a video and throw it up on YouTube because I took a trip on Wednesday, right? Those things matter. So again, this was more of an opinion piece. I've kind of heard from a lot of you guys that that's kind of what you want versus the, um, you know, hey, here's a gear review. Hey, here's the basics of overlanding. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to do away with those, but I'm going to try and mix in a few more, you know, vlogs or podcasts like this that are a little bit more opinion based because, you know, again, just like with my job where it's taken me X amount of years to get to the point where I'm confident enough and comfortable enough to talk about what I know. It's the same with overlanding, right? Like when I started, I knew nothing. And now it's been a few, three, four years. And I, I feel like I know a little bit. So I have a few opinions on it. So I wanted to talk about it. So again, thank you guys. I know I'm a little over 20 minutes this week. But this is the final one for 2019. The final one for season one. Next year, 
a couple tips for you guys. So if you're still listening, thank you. Um, but I'm going to be shortening up the intro a little bit. I'm going to be clarifying it for those of you on the podcast because I realize that I'm taking the video and turning it into an audio. And it kind of just has like a 30 plus second intro section that's just music and you have no idea what's going on. So I realize that and I apologize, guys. But next year on season two, it's going to be a little more concise for the podcast. It's going to start out with more of an intro and less of a just musical interlude at the beginning. Um, so just wanted to let you guys know that. Season two will start in January. And the plans are there's quite a few things that I want to get into next year. So one, uh, I'm not supposed to know this, but for Christmas, I'm getting a drone. I'm getting a Mavic Mini. So there's going to be a lot more really interesting shots on YouTube. So if you don't, if you're listening on the podcast and you don't already subscribe on YouTube, definitely go over to YouTube, search for All Things Overlanding, click the subscribe button and the bell to be notified when I post new videos because there's going to be a ton of really cool stuff coming out. Um, Also, I wanted to talk about, I'm going to be, my plans are to build a rooftop tent myself from scratch. So I kind of recently fell into this. I found a guy that was doing this. Um, Patrick Remington is another guy on YouTube that has a number of videos about it. He has a private Facebook group, which I've joined, and I'm learning a ton from that too. But it just makes so much sense. For a budget-minded overlander like me, being able to save a ton of money and being able to build your own rooftop tent versus spending thousands and waiting months to get it just makes a ton of sense. So there's definitely going to be a series about that as well. And um, finally, again, I, there's definitely going to be some gear reviews. There's definitely going to be some of the same stuff that you've seen this year, but I am, you know, certain that I can improve the quality of it and shorten the time of it and give you guys even more value for listening, for watching. So again, thank you guys so much for sticking with me this whole year. I really appreciate it. I know it's been about four or five months since I started and uh, it's been really fun. And so season two in 2020 is looking really exciting. So I can't wait to get you guys some new content. So thanks again for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a good holiday, whatever you celebrate. And uh, beginning of January, you'll see me back and and we'll get back into the, the saddle here. So thank you guys again. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.